1,245 Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Listen carefully, for this is God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for marriage and for what you have made it to be. And Lord, I pray that as we examine what you have to say about it, that we would be prepared uh, to open our, open our, our hearts and, and submit to you, our great bridegroom. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. You can always tell what a culture thinks about something by the way that they joke about it or not. And one of the things that we see is joked about a lot in our culture is marriage. Typically, we tend to frame it in terms of combat and battle. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and somehow we have to get them both to enact the battle of the sexes here on Earth. But the question is, why? Why do we have to frame things in this way? It tends to be this because, the, because our culture has forgotten what marriage's purpose is. We have turned marriage into a battleground for power. So it's not really about the dishwasher getting, getting filled. It's about who fills it and who got to make that call. And because our culture spends so much time trying to settle something that the Bible already settled 2,000 years ago, we ended up with a very combative type of institution. Because it doesn't understand the why of marriage. But our text does. Our culture can't explain the purpose of our marriage because they didn't invent it. God did. God is the one who has formed marriage. So today, we're going to examine the purpose of marriage and how we fit into it. Particularly today, the role of the wife, because Parker so ably showed us what the husband's role was last week. So let's jump into our passage. Again, starting in verse 22. It reads a very simple line, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now right away we can see why it is the assistant pastor that gets this passage. <laughs> and I want us to examine why sometimes we, why, why that joke is funny. 
I think this is because our culture has taught us to wince. It has taught us to rear back when certain topics are mentioned. And for our culture today, whenever we see a power hierarchy, any sort of call to abandonment of our own control of our lives, there's an instant wincing. Our culture's taught us that. Now, there's a couple reasons as to why we've been taught to do that. One, it could be that we're part of the world system, and the world system hates God and everything it stands for, including roles in marriage. But there can be another reason why our culture winces is because this phrase has been used wrongly. This has been used apart from its purpose and has been taken out of the context of its passage and used to bludgeon people and to oppress. We don't want to do either of those things. But the solution is not to throw out what the Bible says. Because by doing so, we miss out something very important. By throwing out the roles, we throw out the purpose. So we don't want to do that, but we do want to properly understand what this is talking about. So, what does it mean to submit? We tend in our culture, a culture that doesn't have a monarchy and a culture which despises uh, power hierarchies wherever we can find them, when we use the term submit, it's used as a pejorative. It's used as, as, you know, whoever is is, is the one who submits is the loser in a wrestling match. But that's not what submissiveness is. It's not losing. What it is, it is a voluntary giving up of one's authority to another. This is not a symbol of weakness or a symbol of inferiority. In fact, Christ himself does this. Take a look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15 verse 28 shows us that Christ himself will take a submissive role. He uses the same word here as he does in our Ephesians passage. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. When all things, that is all the world, are subjected to him, that is Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Even Christ takes on a role of submissiveness. This does not mean that Jesus is any less God than the Father. Not at all. They are exactly of the same substance. They are equal in majesty, equal in worship, equal in all of those things of importance, of personhood. And that's what we see here. We are not, this passage is not saying that women are inferior to men. Not at all. That's why we saw even in our own story, uh, when we saw from our children's sermon just a few moments ago, that man was not meant to be alone. But that there are two that are necessary to fully display the image of God. Women bear just as much of the image of God as men do. Just will look different. That's why we are different and made that way. I've also heard submissiveness or submission described this way. That we are putting our mission, our agenda under someone else's. Submission. 
So we know that wives are supposed to, supposed to submit a voluntarily giving up of one's own authority to another. But to whom? Whom is this supposed to be? Verse 22 does not say wives submit to all men or submit to husbands, but to your own husband. Authority is narrowed very much to being just one husband. This is not being a slave of all men. But how far does this go? So we say, okay, well, we know we're supposed to voluntarily give up our authority. Wives supposed to do that for their husbands. But how far does this extend? It says here, submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, is this saying that your husband bears the same authority as God and can order you to do anything? No. As to the Lord, and he's talking about as, as is fitting to the Lord, as we see in a parallel passage in Colossians. This is submitting, into, submitting to your husband as, as far as Christ will allow you to go. If your husband is calling you to commit a sin, then, we, then that, that is not your role to submit to that. It is to be submitting to Jesus. It also encapsulates the idea that when you submit to your own husband, it's not just to this man, but you are also honoring Christ in fulfilling that role. Now, this doesn't mean saying, all right, well, I need to submit to my husband in all things. I'm going to be putting my agenda underneath his. This doesn't mean that you have no input in the agenda. Let's take a look here in verse 23. For the husband, he turns here, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its savior. Now, why does he pull out this particular attribute? He could have just left it as he's the head of the church, his body. But he goes further and he is pulling out a very important element as to how Christ rules his body. As the Savior, one who has her best interest at his heart. When we look at how Christ is the head of his church... This is, he is not the head that is ordering them around for his own amusement. Making them jump every time he says something. What Christ is doing is that he has an intense care and concern for his bride, the church. And wants to do what is best for his church. Because he knew that what was best for the church was to lay down his own life. And has made that to be providing for her. So what does that look like for, him, for, for us, our, us husbands? Well, this is talking about having the same care and concern for your wife. Marriage is not meant to be husbands ordering their wives to support their every hunting trip schedule. Christian marriage is not husbands avoiding taking their wives on dates because it interferes with poker night. This is husbands laying down their own interests and, and their own comforts in order to ensure that their wife is being properly cared for physically and spiritually. Or as we saw from last week, cherishing and nourishing her. Now we get to verse 24 as it sums up what has been said so far. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to ev- should submit in everything to their husbands. 
The in everything is talking about how important this role is to be submissive. He's not, again, saying in everything, including you know, acting out in sinful ways, like if your husband were to call you to that. He's speaking uh, hyperbolically. Now, the next few verses that have been addressed here to husbands we have already covered last week. But nonetheless, I'm going to very quickly summarize them. Because, because if we're going to address marriage, if we're going to address a one flesh union, you can't address just one side of that. You have to address both. So we're going to very quickly go over these things. Husbands are given a really high standard to follow. As they are told to love their wives unconditionally like Christ did for his church. To die for her. And he did more than die for her. Christ's care for his church did not stop at the cross. But Christ continues to provide for his church. I know there have been some that have preached this, this passage as saying, it's like, husbands, you need to be willing to die for your wife. Well, how often is that going to come up? It would be better if we would live for our wives you know, and do those things while we're still around. And that's what he calls us to do here. Notice the kind of care that he is, you know, Paul is bringing out this thing almost to talk more about Jesus than it does for marriage. In verses 25 and 26, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own Bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, obviously, husbands cannot spiritually cleanse their wives. That's something only Christ can do. But they can spiritually care for their wives by leading in family devotions, by taking that, by living up to that role of servant leadership, laying down their plans for the evening in order to ensure that their wives and children are being cared for. And this is an amazing example of a very small, shadow-like picture of what Christ has done for us. And that we, who were unfit for marriage, brides with torn dresses and dirty flesh, Christ has come and cleansed us with the gospel to present us as worthy before God for marriage. Something only Christ can do. So we've seen the how. We've seen the authority structure. Yes, the husband is the head of the wife, the one who has the final authority, the final call on these things. But if the head knows anything, he knows to care for the body, his body, nourishing and cherishing it, his wife. This headship, as one commentator put it, must be expressed not in managing his wife, but in meeting her spiritual and emotional needs. This is not the authority that orders around. This is the authority that is used to ensure that she is being taken care of. The head and the body are one and need each other. So that's the how. We understand that from Scripture. But what about the why? Why did God make this institution in the first place? This is the bit that the world can't figure out. This is the part that only the Bible can reveal to us why we're doing this. And it is a glorious reason. We find here in verses 
31 through 32, Paul breaks out a quote all the way from Genesis, from the beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is is opening up a new mystery for us, a thing that has been hidden from the beginning. When Adam and Eve entered into that first marriage, they had no idea what was being pictured here. For millennia, people had been getting married knowing that is what God wanted them to do. But it was a shadowy picture of something that was to come. Just like the sacrifices were a shadowy picture of the sacrifice Christ was to offer. Marriage is a shadowy picture pointing to how much Christ loves his church. He built this entire institution to show the gospel. That's its point. That's why it should be guarded so carefully the way that he has set it up. That's why we can't throw things out that we don't like about the scripture because there is a purpose to it. It's to show how we can be joined together with him. You could put it in this way. I've heard it described that you and your spouse are players in a divine theater. Giving a performance to the world as to what Christ and the church are supposed to be like. Christ is not to abandon his church The church is not to rebuff its Savior and to throw off that authority. That when we as married couples work together to show this gospel, it becomes more, it's it's then a much more profound thing than who loads the dishwasher and who takes out the trash. It becomes who is going to follow the script that has been handed to each of us. We each have our roles not to exchange them as our culture would dictate. We're to hold on to these things because there is something more that is going on. But now what happens when your spouse doesn't follow the script? What happens when the husband doesn't want to take authority, but would rather just sit back and let what happens happens? Or what happens when the, when, the, when the husband does want to take that role, but the wife is not in any way interested in, to, in, in following? Well, verse 33 doesn't leave us an opening to say, it's like, well, they're not doing their part, so I can just walk off the stage. That's not here. Verse 33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband It doesn't give you any conditionals. It doesn't say love your wife as long as she's respecting you. Or it doesn't say follow your husband as long as he is making smart decisions. It tells us to not not be in the way, to to not follow when there is a sinful decision being made. But there are times when when we're making decisions, it's like, it would be so much easier if he would just let me do it. I pull an example from... My own marriage, speaking to my own incompetence in this matter, I, when we had first gotten married, I had been raised doing everything in terms of paying bills via the checkbook. And I had found in trying to balance said checkbook why I went into, being, why I went into college as an English major and not a math major. 
had tremendous difficulty keeping track of all of these things and would spend hours and with a bank statement trying to make these two things say the same thing. And my wife very gently tried to say, it's like, you know, honey, the internet has been invented. And there's this thing called online banking that'll keep track of all of this for you. And I said, I don't trust those things. And I kept pushing this thing aside and getting further and further discombobulated as to the state of our finances. Finally, I, had, I saw the wisdom of what my wife had suggested to me. Not nagging, just want to make sure we say that. But it was a gentle saying, this would help you. And after seeing that, it's like, yes, this does help. And I finally understand where all of our finances are. This was something that it wasn't. She could have very easily have said, I'm going to take care of this and just take that role from me. She could have tried to do that and our culture would have applauded along with it. When have you ever seen a a commercial in which the husband looks vaguely competent at whatever it is that they're advertising? The world would have clapped along. But But with her patience, that was a transition I was able to make without argument. I was able to make this transition without a big war. And that was because this passage was being followed. It's amazing how well this thing works when we just trust God with it. But now what happens? One final question. This even came up in a podcast series I was listening to. Is yes, this whole system is wonderful. But what happens if your spouse isn't saved? So it's like, well, I'm a wife And I would love if my husband was following this script. But he's not even on the stage. He didn't even pretend to be. He's as lost as I can see. Does this mean, you know, I can't follow after him as unto Christ, can I? Well, for the answer to that, let's turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 1 and 2. It has this exact answer to this question. We see yet another unfolding of the purposes of marriage from Peter. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Remember how we said that marriage was a play in the divine theater for the world? What better way to share the gospel with your unsaved husband than to demonstrate that right in front of him? It doesn't promise that the husband will be saved, but God does seem to work through that and does seem to give hope that there can be gospel transformation. Even in the situation of the husband is unsaved and how can I possibly follow after him? It says, still follow as much as you can. For even in doing that, you offer before him the hope of the gospel and live that in front of him. Now, we're not going to pretend that this is easy. It's hard to submit to imperfect people. We even have a perfect husband. His name is Christ. and We don't submit to him all the time either. It's not just a who we're submitting to problem. It's a submission problem. That we all have in our hearts. Not just wives, husbands too. Because we're called to submit to Christ. We don't like doing that either. This is where we have to have a transformation by Christ to make this possible. 
For this to work as it is, there has to be a work done in the heart that says, I'm going to lay down my interests for someone else. That can only come if you have a hope in something else beyond just who has the pants in the family. It's who can I honor in my marriage? Who can I lift up? And it's not just someone who is great, but it was someone who loves you. Who has cleansed you of your filth when you did not deserve that. We did not deserve to be forgiven of our sins, but he's done so. And by faith and repentance, we see that forgiveness in our own lives. And then it's that Savior, it's that husband that looks to us, the church, the wife, and says, I know what your culture tells you. I know that you're you're called to wince when you hear my words. I know it's hard. But I have your best interests in my mind here. And while you can't see it, we're asking you, Christ asks us to follow through his pattern of marriage, even when it's difficult. And to play out that very role, we're given that privilege of getting to see how Christ loves his church and act that out before the world. And in doing so, our marriage becomes a lot more than just a domestic partnership, as our culture would like to make it. But it becomes a pulpit from which we can preach the gospel, giving hope to a lost and dying world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for marriage. We thank you for what it shows. But Lord, we also thank you for those who aren't married. For those who spread the gospel even in their singleness, as did the very author of Ephesians. Lord, I pray that you would be with them and show them their, their purpose is the same. To bring, a, to bring the gospel to a dying world. Lord, I pray for our marriages, that you would protect them. Pray that you would keep us from moral failing. But most of all, that we would do more than just avoid the wrong. But that we would embrace the right. And that we would see the glorious things you have planned for our marriages and in your work in the world. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.